Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So having conversations with people about God used to be really hard for me. I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I always thought, you know, I'm not an expert. What I came to realize is I don't really have to talk about my faith like that. I just have to talk about what my faith means to me. I own a business consulting firm. And what we've done is we've adopted a set of core values that epitomize uh, my Christian faith. The four core values are integration, convergence, service, and everyone. Uh, integration means that you're just the same all the time. That, that's a value that came from church where we have a, a tendency to be a different person on Sunday as we are during the week. And the idea that if we're the same all the time, uh, it's just an easier way to live. Um, takes away our tendency to have bias or hidden agendas or things that, you know, we wouldn't be proud of if we had to share it with our kids. So integration is the first one. Then convergence, that, that's a core value that came from the master's program, which is a Christian leadership program. And it's all about using the gifts we have from God, our talent with passion and purpose. And if we combine our gifts and talent and pur- purpose, we are operating at our best. Uh, the third core value we have at work is service, which is all about helping our clients, but also helping those in need, particularly those that are vulnerable. Uh, and the last core value is everyone, which I totally plagiarized from Blue Oaks Church, uh, and I'm proud to do that. Uh, I know when Matt talks about everyone, he, he does something really special. He says there's 288,314 people in the Tri-Valley, but they couldn't go to church if they wanted to because there's not enough seats. So the Everyone campaign is all about creating more seats, more churches, more opportunities for people to develop a relationship with Christ. And that's what we've adopted in my work. We said everyone is a core value to us because every person matters, every voice matters. Those are our business core values. But when I talk about them at work, whether it's with my team, my employees, my customers, I always weave in my faith. You know, Jesus said, be a witness and tell others about me. And what better way to do that than to share the things that you're passionate about in a way that is real for you, not not preachy, not salesy. Um, just demonstrate by your words and your actions that your values mean something and, and they come from your faith. Well, last week we talked about becoming difference makers in your little part of the world. And Chris is doing that by having core values in his company that allow him to talk about his faith with his customers and his employees. But last week we looked at what Jesus said to his followers before he left this earth. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He was saying, I want you to take my power and my love and my message of hope, uh, the forgiveness of sin, the way of the cross, into your little part of the world. I want you to be my witnesses, he said. Not my salesmen. Uh, You don't have to put on a lot of pressure. Uh, Just witness. Witnesses are those people who've told what they've seen. Um, He says, I just want you to tell people about me and what I've done in your life. Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, The disciples were in Jerusalem when Jesus said that. And so for them and for us, this means in your little part of the world, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, right where you live. 
We also looked at what Jesus said about his followers, about you and me, uh, that we are the salt of the earth. Uh, we need to get out of the packet and we need to allow God to use us. And we need to say that little prayer, God, use me. And so step one is go out into your little world and develop significant relationships with unchurched people, putting yourself in a position to be used by God. If Jesus is going to change this world, it's going to be one life at a time, and it's going to be through you. Um, if you don't partner with Jesus in this, he's not going to assign angels to do it or write it in the sky. We said, you are plan A. There is no plan B. So I hope you've been praying that. God, use me prayer this week. And if you pray that prayer, watch out because God will do it. He's looking for people who are willing to be used by him. Today, I've titled this message, One Conversation Can Change Everything. Uh, last week, we said one relationship can change everything. As you get out into the world, develop significant relationships with unchurched people. That relationship can change everything. This week, one conversation can change everything. And I would say 98% of all spiritual conversations with unchurched people will happen in one of three places. Uh, where you work uh, or go to school if you're a student, where you play, uh, do recreation, work out at the gym, those kinds of things, and where you live in your neighborhood, where you go grocery shopping or get coffee or a haircut. Um, this is like the golden triangle of opportunity. Um, that's why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 4, 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. What he's saying is every day we have opportunities to connect with outsiders. Every day we have opportunities to engage in significant conversations with people. Every day we have opportunities to get to know people, interact with people, enjoy people, and love people. But within these opportunities that come every day in our lives, there are some special opportunities that tend to just kind of pop up in our lives from time to time. And these are the times when we've got to be ready. I came across a story. It's an example of making the most of every opportunity. Uh, this is a story about a pastor named Jeffrey Cotter. Uh, he was on a plane one time after a job interview with a church. And this is what Cotter writes. After a final interview with a large suburban church, I barely had time to change my suit for a comfortable pair of old jeans before boarding the plane home. When I settled into the last unoccupied seat on the plane, I caught a glimpse of the person beside me. His appearance proclaimed him as a businessman. Conservative blue suit, tan attache case, Wall Street Journal. Of course, I was there in faded jeans, tattered t-shirt, and tennis shoes. I wish I'd waited until later to change. So I quietly made a resolution, look straight ahead, hide in a book, above all, don't get involved in a conversation about jobs. Obviously, he had a good one, and I had none yet. He had an income, and I didn't. Stay away from conversation. But all that changed because he had already turned and greeted me. I said I was fine, of course. Realizing I had to beat him to the punch, I asked him what he did for work, and he was only too eager to respond. I'm in the body sculpting business, he said. We can change a person's self-concept by changing their body. It's a very profound, powerful thing. His pride spoke between the lines. We're the fastest growing company of our kind in the nation. It's really good to be a part of an organization like that, don't you think? I nodded approvingly as this man talked, and I thought, impressive. He's proud of his work and accomplishments. 
Why can't Christians be proud like that? Why are we so apologetic about our faith and our church? Looking suspiciously at my clothing, this businessman asked me the inevitable question, and what do you do? The spirit began to brood over the face of the deep. Order and power emerged from chaos. A voice and a whisper reminded me of the Apostle Paul when he forgot everything except Jesus Christ and his reminder to let him who boasts boast in the Lord. I said, it's interesting that we have similar business interests. You're in the body-changing business. I'm in the personality-changing business. Uh, We apply, apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. He was hooked, but I knew he'd never admit it. Pride is a powerful thing. You know, I've heard about that, he said hesitantly. Do you have an office here in the city? Oh, yes, we have many offices. We have offices up and down the state. In fact, we're national. We have at least one office in every state, including Alaska and Hawaii. He had this puzzled look on his face. He was searching his mind to identify this huge company he must have read about or heard about maybe in the Wall Street Journal. As a matter of fact, I said, we've gone international and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. I paused, do you have that in your business? Well, no, not yet, he answered, but you mentioned management. How do they make it work? It's a family concern. There's a father and a son, and they run everything. (laughs) That must take a lot of capital, he asked skeptically. You mean money, I said? Yeah, I suppose so. No one knows how much it takes, but we never worry because there's never a shortage. The boss always seems to have enough. He's a very creative guy. And the money is, well, it's just there. In fact, those of us who are in the organization have a saying about our boss. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, so he's into ranching too, asked my captive friend. No, it's just a saying we use to indicate his wealth. My friend sat back in his seat, musing over our conversation. Well, what about you, he asked. The employees? Uh, There's something to see, I said. They have a spirit that pervades the organization. It works kind of like this. The father and son love each other so much that their love filters down through the organization so that we find ourselves loving each other too. I know this sounds kind of old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I know people in our organization who are willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? I was almost shouting now. People were starting to shift noticeably in their seats. Not yet, he said. Quickly changing strategies, he asked, but do you have good benefits? They're substantial, I countered with a gleam. I have complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. You might not believe this, but it's true. I have holdings in a mansion that's being built for me right now for my retirement. (laughs) Do you have that in your business? Not yet, he answered wistfully. And the light was dawning, and then Cotter goes on to write about a very significant spiritual conversation that continued between a Christ follower and a non-believer. And I love this story. And you know what? Some of you have naturally strong gifts in this area of sharing your faith with people, and you're very comfortable having these kinds of spiritual conversations like this. And those of you who do, you need to cultivate that gift. Um, You need to develop it. You need to use it on a regular basis. Uh, This church needs you to just like run as far with that gift as God enables you to. But many of you in this room are much more like me. Uh, This is not a strong area of natural giftedness for me. Uh, I don't find brilliant, creative analogies just kind of flowing off my lips in moments like that on an airplane. Uh, Sharing my faith is much more like the experience I have when I argue 
Uh, it's often not until I wake up at 2 in the morning that I think the perfect thing that I wish I would have said. Still, the Apostle Paul gives this instruction in Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There's also a different kind of opportunity Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 16 where he says, a great door for effective work has opened to me. In other words, in the midst of my everyday life where I'm open to whatever God wants to do in my life, there is a great door, there is a significant opportunity that has opened up to me. There's a person who is, for some reason, just wide open right now, uh, presenting a great opportunity. And today I want to talk about how to recognize those moments, uh, how to see these kinds of moments when they come, which could lead to significant spiritual progress in a person's life. And so our second step in this three-step strategy is help unchurched people take their next step spiritually. The first step is go out into the world and develop significant relationships with unchurched people, and then you look for those opportunities when God just opens a door to help them take their next step spiritually. This is very important. This is a very important point, this step, helping unchurched people take their next step spiritually. This is often the missing link in most churches. And here's why this is crucial. You may develop relationships with unchurched people. You may even invite them to church, But if you don't work at this step, if you don't help them take their next step spiritually, if you don't give them a chance to question and probe spiritual life issues in a one-on-one setting, sooner or later, they'll just drop out. They just will. Most of them will. We need to be really clear on this. Blue Oaks will not achieve its mission. You and I, as a church body, we will fail to do what God has called us to do if you, one by one and life by life, don't own and master this. I read about a time two elderly women were driving in a great big old classic car. Uh, they could barely see over the steering wheel. And they were riding along, and the person in the passenger seat thought to herself, I think we just went through a red light. Like, I ought to pay better attention. And so as they drove more, a few blocks later, they went through another red light. And she said to herself, I think we just went through another red light. I mean, that can't be. And so she paid attention again, and then they went through a third red light, and she said, Mildred, what are you doing? You're going to get us killed. That's the third red light we've gone through. And Mildred said, oh, am I driving? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so many times when it comes to awareness of opportunities, when it comes to saying something about God or our faith, uh, we need to be a little more available, and we miss those opportunities. Um, it's like we're completely unaware. And I do this all the time, by the way. Um, It's like bells and whistles are going off. I'm running through red lights. It's like open door, open door, open door, opportunity, opportunity. And sometimes I know it's just because I'm completely self-absorbed in my own agenda. Or other times it's because I'm spiritually not tuned in or I'm insensitive or I'm not looking for those opportunities And so today's message is as much for me as it is for anyone else. Uh, What are those moments when bells and whistles ought to be going off in your mind that are saying, like, this conversation is an open door. I need to spend more time with this person. A door for effective work is opening up to me. What are those? I want to give you four different categories for recognizing these kinds of moments. 
a kind of a framework for thinking about these opportunities as they come up in your life. So four opportunities to help unchurched people take next steps spiritually. And really these uh, opportunities will, are, they can help anyone take their next step uh, spiritually. Now my wife is naturally much better at recognizing this first one than I am. Um, we can be with a group of people for an evening or something and have a great time, laugh, connect, eat, and I'll come home and think, well, wasn't that a great time? And she'll come home and say, well, didn't you know so-and-so wasn't really herself tonight? Um, and you need to know this has happened many, many times. I mean, like, many, many times in our marriage. And I'll say, like, no, what do you mean? And she'll look at me like, what planet are you on? Um, and she'll say, you know, didn't you see the sadness in her eyes tonight? Or didn't you notice that she and her husband didn't even look at each other tonight? Or didn't you notice how she pulled back from conversation? Or didn't you notice how quiet she was? You know, something's not right in her world. And I miss stuff like that all the time. And my guess is there are some of you who are awareness challenged just like me. Um, you miss those kinds of opportunities too. And so what's going on here? Like what is this open door that Kathy is tuning into when something like this happens? It's pain. She's sensing some kind of pain in another person. Uh, pain is one of the greatest catalysts. Pain is one of the greatest open doors for spiritual progress in a person's life. If I ask for a show of hands on how many of you became a follower of Jesus because of nonstop winning in your life, like you got promotions at work, you know, things are going great in your marriage, your kids are just like model students and they like hold hands around the house, you know. Like, you won the lottery twice. Like, if I asked you, like, how many of you decided to become a follower of Jesus because everything was great in your life, I bet no one would raise their hand. But if I asked you, how many of you started your spiritual journey because you came to a point in your life where you were humbled, you became a follower of Jesus because of some pain in your life, your marriage was in a crisis, uh, an illness hit, a loved one died, your finances collapsed out of a wound in your life or an addiction that started to cripple your life or your relationships, I bet a lot of hands would go up. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. It's a pretty radical thought, isn't it? Why will we not regret that kind of sorrow? It's because if that kind of sorrow turns us in the direction of grace, if it causes us to seek and to find God, the value of that experience is worth whatever pain we had to go through in order to find grace. You know, Jesus taught in the story of the Good Samaritan that when a person is in pain, instead of just walking by that person, Instead of just saying, you know, I've got a bunch of other religious things to do, we need to tune in and we need to stop because someone's in pain, because someone's battling depression, because someone's battling a relational breakdown, because someone's battling grief or an eating disorder or some kind of wound. You know, when we say that God used me prayer and we sense there's a person in pain, we ought to tune into that. And we need to say to ourselves, like the Apostle Paul said, a great door 
for effective work has opened to me. All right, there's a second category of moments that we need to especially tune into. Uh, it's what the dishonest tax collector named Zacchaeus was carrying with him when Jesus told him one day to come down from the sycamore tree. It's what a woman who was caught in a, the act of adultery was carrying like a noose around her neck when she was brought to Jesus. It's what a local prostitute was carrying when she approached Jesus at a dinner party, weeping. She fell to her knees and poured expensive perfume all over his feet. It's what King David was carrying after the Bathsheba fiasco. And here's how David described it in Psalm 38. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. It's just plain old guilt. My guilt overwhelms me. It's too heavy to bear. Anytime you see someone carrying an enormous amount of regret or guilt in their life, that ought to be an indication to you. This is an open door. You know, Chuck Colson became one of the great Christian writers, statesmen, thinkers of our time, uh, leading a fantastic work in the prisons of our nation. What was the turning point in his life? It was guilt over the Watergate scandal. Kay Arthur tells her husband, go ahead, commit suicide. I could use the money. And he does. And what's the turning point in her life? It's guilt. We need to keep our antennas up for people who are carrying enormous regrets, for moms and dads carrying parental regrets, for unfaithful, unfaithful spouses carrying moral regrets, for unwise spenders and borrowers carrying financial regrets, for anger-filled ventilators carrying verbal regrets, for weekend partiers carrying sexual regrets. Guilt is one of the heaviest pieces of baggage anyone will ever carry. And when we sense someone carrying it, we ought to know a great door for effective work has opened to us. All right, I could probably describe this next category by telling you about a meeting that I had with a highly successful business guy. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, he's worked hard. Um, he's had a string of nonstop successes in his life. Uh, he's bought and sold 22 different companies, uh, bought businesses when they were undervalued, restored value to them, and sold them. Um, he's got a great wife. He's got fantastic kids. And you look at his life and you say, well, what's not to like about that? And I'll never forget what he said to me across the table. He said, Matt, buying my 23rd company is not going to do it for me. It's not going to do it for me. I want my life to be about something more significant. What's he describing? It's something that many people are dealing with these days. It's kind of an aimlessness or a boredom. It's this nagging thought, I need direction in my life. I feel like what I'm investing most of my life in doesn't really matter. Have you ever wondered why those first followers of Christ were willing to leave everything, just walk away from everything and follow Jesus? Like, why would they leave their nets? Why would they leave their boats? Why would they leave their fishing business that they'd worked so hard to build? Because it's not doing it for them anymore. And so many people reach a point in their life where one more dollar just doesn't do it for them anymore. One more trip just doesn't do it for them anymore. One more boat, one more plane, one more vacation, one more whatever just doesn't do it for them anymore. And while pain and guilt are things that cause people to bottom out when they recognize they're spiritually open in their life, so many times this aimlessness comes when people top out when they've succeeded and it just doesn't do it for them anymore. 
And that's when we need to be tuned in and ready for those opportunities that are in front of us. A great door for effective work has opened. Now, while these first three categories that I've described tend to happen as a result of personal circumstances in a person's life, so pain, guilt, aimlessness, the fourth category is an event that leads to kind of a shared experience. A shared experience that kind of opens people up to the possibility of God's work in their life. Let me just give you an example of that. Uh, The day of Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ in Acts 2 on that day. Uh, They give their lives to him. They're baptized on that day. There was just an incredible thing that happened on that day. Why? Because there was this whole convergence of things happening that culminated into this shared experience. Uh, People have been waiting in the upper room, uh, praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. It happens on this holy day where there are just thousands of people in Jerusalem who are there to celebrate. Uh, There's this gift of tongues that happens. People start hearing the message of Jesus proclaimed in a language that they can understand. Like all of these things add up And then Peter communicates this inspiring message, and there are people carrying this enormous guilt about the crucifixion, and all of this comes together in this shared experience, and God does this amazing thing. Let me give you a more current example of an event where something like that happened, Uh, 9-11. Who remembers exactly where you were when you heard about the 9-11 attacks? You remember exactly where you were? One of, like, out of this heartbreak, out of the grieving, out of the the ashes of 9-11, many people started to take a second look at their lives. It was kind of a wake-up call. Suddenly, people felt vulnerable. They felt fragile. They realized loved ones could be lost. They started opening up to the possibility that maybe God is there. And honestly, in my 25-plus years of ministry, I've never experienced the kinds of things that we experienced during that period after 9-11. I watched, and I was back in San Diego at the time, but I watched God use that event, that horrible event, in the lives of thousands of people, including friends, including neighbors, for spiritual progress in their lives. I mean, churches were filled up the next Sunday like it was Easter Sunday. And it wasn't because people were thinking, you know, I've got to do my annual nod to God now. It was this sense of, I need God, and I'm open to his work in my life. Sometimes there are events like the day of Pentecost, like 9-11, where there's just kind of this convergence of circumstances that just all come together in this shared experience. And God uses it to produce enormous spiritual fruit. And if we have the right spirit around these types of shared experiences, we can say, all right, a great door for effective work has opened to me. Now here's the issue that we really need to wrestle with for the next few moments. How do we seize these open door moments? How do we seize these moments where we're tuned into this great open door? When someone's in pain, when they're carrying a load of guilt, when they realize they're kind of bored or they're going through life aimlessly, or when we go through this kind of shared experience. How do we seize these moments? Well, first, one thing that we need to remember, and this is so important, acceptance opens the door to influence. One time I was working out at the gym, and I was just kind of by myself going through my own routine, and a guy came up to me that I had never met before, and he introduced himself to me, and he was wearing a Chicago Cubs t-shirt, and so um, there was an instant connection there. And he said to me, hey, Matt, I've been coming to your church for a while now, 
um, I'm from a Catholic background, and I just want you to know I'm learning a lot. And then he said, you're a hell of a guy. And uh, I kind of laughed at that. It didn't bother me at all. Um, because here's this guy who's finally making some spiritual progress in his life, um, you know, for the first time in many years. And the best way he knows, he's trying to kind of strike up conversation. He's trying to just say thank you. And, you know, what my job is in that moment is not to say something that would embarrass him, but it's just to accept him. And that opening with him led to a number of conversations that led to incredible spiritual progress in his life. What does a person going through an enormous amount of pain in their life need most from you if you, tune into them, if you tune into them? It's not a book. It's not a Bible study. It's acceptance. What does a person carrying an enormous amount of guilt over failures from their past need from you? I mean, they don't need you to beat them up a little more. I mean, they're doing that enough themselves. They just need acceptance. And this was Jesus, by the way. Like, he was an acceptance magnet. And people found Jesus irresistible. And you think about this. He was without sin. But rather than being repulsed by this goody-two-shoes Jesus, people weren't repulsed by him. They were drawn to him. Why? Because he accepted people, whoever they were. A skill that's important for every follower of Christ is listening. I mean, really listening to people. A lot of times when we think of being a witness, we think that means I need to share a message. And that eventually is uh, important, a message that needs to get shared. But we think that it's about what I communicate with my words. But I think it's more about just being accepting and listening. And we need to learn to ask great questions. So what do you believe? Like, why do you believe that? How do you feel when you go through a crisis like that? Like, where do you think God is during that time? And then, you know, thanks for sharing that with me. Thanks for opening up about that. I mean, just think about all the times in the Bible when Jesus kept listening to, to people. I mean, you think about that for a minute. Jesus is listening to people, and Jesus knew everything. Like, he knew what was going on inside of them. He knew what their thoughts were. He knew what was going to come out of their mouths before they even said it. So why did he listen? Why did he bother? Because in communication, listening communicates acceptance. Listening communicates acceptance, and acceptance opens the door to influence. All right, there's a second thing that's critical for seizing these moments. And what I'm about to share with you may be the three most important words that you'll, enter, you'll ever end up saying in a conversation with an unchurched person. Um, if I were you, I would write these three words down because these three words will get you out of more trouble than anything else you can say. Uh, because when you're in tune with uh, an open door, what prevents you from walking through that open door? It's fear, right? Like we fear that going through that door is going to get us into a conversation that we can't get out of. Some question is going to be asked that we don't have the answer for like some discussion that we're incapable of dealing with is going to happen. It's so, it's so important that we know there are three words that can get us out of that. What are the three words that will give us great confidence in any setting? Are you ready for them? All right, here they are. They're so hard to say. I don't know. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. 
I don't know is a great tool when you're trying to talk with other people. It's so much better to say, I don't know, than to avoid the conversations. It's so much better to say, I don't know, than to just kind of try to fake your way through the conversations. Now, I've watched others with gifts in this area use these three words as leverage, uh, as a good thing. So what's good about saying this? What's good about saying, I don't know? When you say, I don't know, to another person, all of a sudden, they think, like, I'm the smart one here. And they feel good. Like, they're not thinking, you're so stupid. It just kind of, like, puffs them up a little bit. And when you say, I don't know, it shows humility on your part, which is very attractive. Like, I've seen people pull this off masterfully. You know what? I don't know all the answers to all of your questions, but can you just give me a few minutes to tell you about my experience with God? It's like the blind man in John 9 who was healed by Jesus. The religious leaders, they call him in and they start questioning him. Like, how is it that you're able to see? Who healed you? What did he do? Tell us about it. And the blind man responds, listen, I don't know all the answers to all of your questions. All I know is I was blind and now I see. We don't have to refute every argument people have about our faith. We can simply say, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but once I lived according to the way of the world and my life was headed to hell and I was in trouble and then I found Jesus Christ and now my life is different. I don't know. Once I lived with this pile of guilt, but now that I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, and my life is different. Like, I don't know all the answers to all the questions that you have, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. Simply tell your story. I mean, there's so much power in your story. I was blind, but now I see. People can't refute that. Or if people have questions that you don't know the answer to, just say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to do some research to find out And I want to talk with you again about that sometime. And so the other advantage of saying, I don't know, is that it serves as a catalyst to help you do some self-discovery and to grow muscles for conversation that you didn't previously have. So it's a win-win all the way around. You humble yourself in front of the other person. You have a chance to go do some self-discovery on your own. You learn some things that you didn't know otherwise. And I don't know also opens the door for a future conversation. Hey, remember when I told you, I said, I don't know? Well, I've done some digging on that, and you'd be interested to know what I found. I'd love to share with you that sometime. I don't know. These are great words. Don't be afraid of going into a conversation, uh, whatever your intellectual capacity is right now. Uh, it's okay to say, I don't know. All right, so if you're willing to say those words, I don't know, and if you're willing to accept people, where they are, I mean, you're on your way to having some incredible conversations in those moments where a door for effective work has opened to you. So in addition to going out into the world and developing significant relationships with unchurched people, we need to be looking for those opportunities when God opens a door for us to help people take their next step spiritually. And now I just want to pray And ask God that he would open those doors for many of us this week. Would you just bow your heads and join me in prayer? God, I just want to thank you for the opportunities that you bring every day in our lives to extend a hand or to have these kinds of uh, conversations. And I pray especially that we would be extra aware of those open doors as they come our way 
this week. Whether it's recognizing someone who has tremendous pain or someone who's carrying enormous guilt or feeling like life is aimless. Or maybe it's just kind of a convergence of circumstances that um, has caused this shared experience to happen. God, I pray that we would be the most accepting people in the world. I pray that we would be humble enough to uh, simply say to people, you know what, I don't know. And that we would use that as an opportunity to learn and to grow and to initiate additional conversations. God, I would just pray that the opportunities before us between now and Christmas would be great. And I pray for lots of significant spiritual conversations in the coming weeks. And I pray that you would do what only your Holy Spirit could do through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everyone said, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.